Well, greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel Underground Podcast. This is episode 57, Intellectual Vice, not Miami Vice, Intellectual Vice. We are broadcasting live, well, live for us in the Power of Change Worldwide headquarters here in Blacksburg, Virginia. I'm here, as always, or as mostly, with my dancing friend, Jesse Fury, who is rocking out to that song by Sugar and the High Lows as we start out My mostly friend, Jesse. I mean, mostly here, friend. Mostly here, that's right. Every now and then, he's not here, but for the most part, we roll out together. And I was dancing. And he was dancing. And it was beautiful. And we are enjoying... The new Roadcaster Pro uh, podcasting board yeah, that we've so been using. Yeah, it's so fun listening yeah. to it. We can mix in all kinds of fun goodness uh, now, Jesse. Mm. It's going to be a, mm. a, a fun treat here in the shed quarters. Well, hey, man, last time I saw you, you were sweating profusely in a church service. <laughs> but well, that is not the way I thought you were going to start this out. But looking very fit and looking very uh, uh, athletic, and you said uh, athletish, <laughs> and you told me, yeah, I just got done running a... A half marathon. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. I was sweating profusely in church, but it was because I had run. You know what? It was a so it it was a great day on Sunday. We friend of mine, Clark Ramsey, shout out. He does listen. So what's up, Clark? We we ran a half marathon together with some other friends. um, The Hokie Half Marathon here in Blacksburg. It's not a Hokie marathon. It's just named after the Hokies. That's right. And it, it's a beautiful, well-run, amazing half marathon. They do a great job with it from beginning to end. The only problem I had with it is whoever designs it, like whoever whoever maps it, is he's got issues. He's a twisted person. Who he's makes, a mean person. Makes you run up hills, I bet, huh? He's a mean person. The last few miles are... It's the worst finishing. It's just... Dude's got, he's got issues. It's just mean. Well, Jesse, being a 39-year-old gentleman running half marathons. You get a gold star for that. Are you giving that. me a star? <laughs> I'm giving you a star today. I almost did fall asleep in the middle of the run. It was, I was so tired. The only thing marathonish I did this week was cooking a pork butt. This is what happened to me Monday. My mm. wife uh, said, hey, Kroger has these these pork shoulders, right? Um, you guys know when you say pork butt, it's not actually the I'm bottom. Go get a butt. It's not the bottom of a pig like it's butt. Mm. It's actually its shoulder. But they used to be shipped in New England in these pa- uh, bins called butts. Drop some knowledge, they, yeah, yeah, so they were called butts, and so they just got nailed, uh, named the pork butt mm. uh, because of the cases they were shipped in. But it's actually a shoulder, and she was about to put it in a crock pot with some, like, Heinz Bobo barbecue sauce, Ooh. and I just had, like, started twitching. I was yeah. like, what, what are you doing? What are you doing with that? And so, Don't you follow me on Instagram, yeah, woman? <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> I, I grabbed that, and, 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 and I sm- unexpectedly did a 10-hour smoke on Monday. That was my marathon. Uh, you were like, um, hey, hun. Rather than put this in a crock pot, forget about it, and that's have right. like a full day of that's life. Right. That's right. Let me spend ten hours smoking, smoking this meat. <laughs> and my my office is like right right uh, near my smoking area, mm. and so I like worked way too much on Monday. So I got most of my Tuesday scheduled uh, finished on Monday, and so I got to go hang nice. out with Jesse and the uh, Valley Bible Church staff team yesterday. Shout it was out. a great time, great yeah. time. Well, our first segment today. Uh, it's uh, not, a, not review. a review, Jesse. We're not that into it, so sit right It's our back. man, Michael Bond. It's time for review. Jazz musician from Manhattan, Jersey. Things, but don't care enough to write anything. It's not a review. All right, Jesse. What, you just put on some Terminator-looking shades, man. Tell me what's going on here. That song. I'm reviewishing my new sunglasses, my new shades. So if you've been looking for a pair of knock-around sunglasses, real lightweight, 
I'm, I just want to, I want to highly recommend these are gooder, gooder, gooder. They speaking without an E. There's G-O-O-D. no, it's just good R, R, gooder sunglasses. And, um, I'm not a runner. I did a half marathon, but not because I'm a runner. Jesse, uh, when you run 13 miles in a row, that qualifies. Okay. I'm a runner now. (laughs) I I run, I'm a runner. And, uh, I was trying to find some sunglasses that I could wear that weren't too expensive in case my kids crushed them or lost them. Uh, but also stayed on my face. So these are nice. They've got a nice matte feel to them. You feel those. They look, they look above gas station grade. Yeah. Yeah. the, The crap I buy. Yeah. They're above gas station, but they're below like, Ray-Bans or Oakley's. Yeah, or, or the kind that like wrap around yeah, and make I, you look fast. Make you look like a beach volleyball player. Or yeah, these just, they're just regular. They're, I would just call them regular. What would you say? Yeah, they're yeah. like Tom Cruise looking. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, even better. They're yeah. like Tom Cruise sunglasses. Like <laughs> um, like uh, Top Top Gun sunglasses, yeah, but not aviators. Yeah. Anyway, I love them. They don't, they don't fall off of your face when more, you get more sweaty. More risky business shapes. Okay, so, uh, okay. Sorry about that reference. I know that's yeah, not a good movie. Yeah, they, Watched it in my childhood. Okay. Uh, and they're polarized. So you can see fish. Yeah, yeah. If you, <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what that means. Did you just go re- uh, redneck? <laughs> you can see. Yeah, you can see fish. through the reflection and see the fish underwater. Oh, I... we jokingly, whenever you, whenever I put on Polaroid sun, polo, <laughs> polarized sunglasses, I like to say that I see. Oh, I see fish now. Where can you see electric fish? I can see fish. So uh, anyway, about twenty five dollars. You can find them at a running stores or online. Gooder sunglasses. They're good. They're gooder. They're better than good. Speaking of they're gooder. Speaking of gooder, uh, we've been talking here on the Underground Jesse for several weeks now uh, about virtues. Right? Yeah. We talked about on our episode Underground Virtue how you know the development of virtue character over time maybe happens best outside of the spotlight. And then we did something specific on gratitude. Right? Yeah. It's something that changes the brain. the brain. Yeah, makes you gooder. Um, Today, our topic is intellectual vice. Now, I came across a book listening to another podcast. The podcast was called Mindscape. It's Science, Society, Philosophy, Culture, and Arts and Ideas by a man named Sean Carroll, right? Sean Carroll is professor of theoretical physics and astrophysics at California Institute of Technology, Caltech. Very smart guy. Very smart guy. He's doing things on uh, the foundations of quantum reality right now. It's his research. How about that? Well, he had an interview on August 26th with a gentleman from England named Kasim Kassam uh, about a book called Intellectual Vices and what to do about them. Now, the Kassam is a philosopher. He has his PhD in philosophy from Oxford. He's professor of philosophy at the University of Warwick. Apparently, he's originally his family's from India, India uh, Gujarati. Uh, for my Indian family out there, and uh, obviously highly philosophically educated, and so he's held faculty positions at Cambridge University College of London. Now, the interesting thing about this podcast and about his book, I picked up his book and I read it. Well, I read probably 75% of it, um, called uh, Vices of the Mind is the name of the book, 2019 Oxford Press publication. And we talked about virtues, and, and virtues, Jesse, you shared with us, you know, the concept, right? A virtue is something makes a human being, right? A gooder. <laughs> a gooder person. <laughs> a gooder human mm. being. And a vice, let's say, is kind of the opposite. It kind of hinders human flourishing or human goodness, and it's counter to what we ought to be. Now, this word ought, right, it's going to be important for us today. 
uh, because when we say something is a vice, right, we, we kind of bring up some categories um, uh, that help us in our understanding. First, first is that of something being praiseworthy or laudable or laudability. That would be something that's a virtue, right? Wow, Jesse, you are a very humble guy. Mm, thank or, you. Or, <laughs> yeah, or, hey, you're gooder in your humility mm. than most, right? Um, when we talk about vices, right, it's something that's blameworthy, meaning that you're kind of culpable uh, for this reality in your life. And we're not talking here today about just having bad character traits, but certain vices related to the way we think or what Kassam calls uh, vices of the mind. Now, he uses the term because he's a philosopher and he's really smart and has degrees. He has a curriculum vita. So he has to use words like he calls them epistemic vices. Mm. Now, this comes from the Greek word episteme, uh, where we get the word epistemology from, or the study of knowledge, or how we know things. And now, he builds this definition of what he calls epistemic vices in his preface to the book. The first kind of first few pages that don't even get uh, actual page numbers, you know, the little Roman numeral pages. Uh, and he says this, epistemic vices get in the way of knowledge or knowing things. Uh, they have... Uh, they have um, they keep us from sharing and growing in knowledge, and they have disastrous consequences. And this is something he's going to get after in this book in the political realm. Obviously, he's English. Uh, he's uh, living in Western civilization, so he he's going after you know Boris Johnson, Donald Trump kind of stuff in the book. Now, I've, at first, I thought maybe he's just political hack and he's making up this intellectual vice stuff uh, in order to go after people he thinks are stupid. Um, a little bit of that in the book, but uh, he says this, epistemic vices are intellectual defects that get in the way of knowledge, uh, and the point of calling them vices is to suggest, and this mm. is very important in his argument, that they are blameworthy or in some other sense reprehensible. Now, when when you say that, like we're talking about stinking thinking, right? Bad ways of thought that have consequences in the world. Now, he's very much aware of the book, um, Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow by Daniel Kahneman, 2011 book, that talks about, you know, human beings think in two ways, fast and slow. Fast thinking being fast, uh, unconscious or subconscious, automatic, everyday decision, very prone to errors. We just kind of confirm our biases, we act upon our preconceived knowledge, and we just do stuff. And then uh, he, he calls something slow thinking. This is slow, deliberative, conscious, at giving effort, giving complex decisions, and more reliable. So Kassam is aware of this kind of fast and th slow thinking. And when he says intellectual vices, he's not talking merely about making hasty, quick judgments or generalizations or bias. Um, he's talking about something that is blameworthy, that you are wrong in the way you're thinking, and not simply because it's consequences, but uh, because uh, it hinders us from knowledge or knowing things. Now, I thought about this, Jesse, and said, well, is there some sort of epistemic or knowing or thinking responsibility that we have? Have you ever thought of that question? Like, hey, is it blameworthy to think badly? Have you ever given, given that much thought? Oh, yeah. Yeah, a lot, <laughs> a lot of in pastoral ministry. Well, even, even in thinking about uh, my own growth and 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 becoming a more virtuous person and and in my world thinking about how how can I be more Christ like and imitate Him? Uh, yes, I think all the time about. Uh, oftentimes, I'll find myself thinking something and then thinking, "Why am I thinking this way?" Yeah, uh, yeah. that there 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 was a problem about four steps back to where I 
I couldn't have made a better decision unless I fixed my thinking. That's right. That's right. And so yeah, sure. Think about the, it all the time. The, I haven't the, figured out how to fix it yet, but <laughs> I can fix my I, well, I can, fig- I can figure out how to fix how other people should fix it. Like stop being so stupid. Stop being so stupid. Yeah. You should be less stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Or you think back to like maybe the Puritans' view of a person where they have emotions, intellect, and will, and you have you have knowledge of knowing things, and mm. then and then you have the will, the the captain to drive it right. Um, and certainly our emotions are important, but yet can't drive. Uh, the hub of the ship, so to speak. Yeah. But, but I thought about the Bible even for a second. D- does God hold people accountable for bad thinking or what they do with knowledge? And these are just a couple of passages. The first one's out of Luke, uh, which has something that philosophers called counterfactuals. It's kind of an if-then statement that's true. Um, and this is uh, Luke ten thirteen through 16. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. So this is this is a statement where Jesus said, if these cities saw what you saw, they would have done that. And it's true that they would have done that, right? This is Jesus saying that. Um, then he says, but it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And in you, Capernaum, Will you be exalted to heaven? No, you shall be brought down to the grave. The one who hears me and the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So here we have, you know, people that have certain knowledge. Uh, They don't act properly upon it. um, And they are held accountable for it or responsible Mm. for it. Um, Even a rejection of God. Then this is out of uh, Romans 1. Our church has been studying Romans for a while. This is an interesting passage as well. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth or by their wickedness or suppress the truth in wickedness or suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, for what can be known about God is plain to them, for God has shown it to them to be uh, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived since the creation of the world uh, in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking. Mm. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men, birds, animals, and creeping things. So here we have... Uh, the truth mattering, and it's uh, suppressing of this truth and unrighteousness has di- dire consequences. That there's a knowledge, right, that's available to us in the things that have been made and clearly seen that we're accountable to uh, if we suppress them. And so, for me, uh, this idea of intellectual vices or poor thinking or uh, our relationship to knowledge can be either virtuous or vicious. Uh, certainly, uh, is even in the Bible now. There's a professor at University of Texas named J. Bujashevsky. He wrote a wrote a book called "What We Can't Not Know: A Guide," which I, <laughs> he thought he'd make the title just as hard to say as his name. Yeah, what we can't not know. So there's certain things we yeah, know. Yeah. A guide, in other words, that we are responsible for how mm. we relate to knowledge. So I really mm. appreciated Kassam's book and wanting to say, look, there are bad, like really bad ways of thinking. Now he he mentions several vices. In the book, and for instance, chapter three, he ta- called these things thinking vices, the way we think, like things like lack of humility, complacency, uh, self-satisfaction, like, hey, I'm just good, uh, stupidity, gullibility, 
uh, and dogmatism. He was really down on dogmatism. And then closed-mindedness uh, can be a vice of the mind, meaning if you're looking at problem solvings or, or thinking about solutions to things, if um, if we're closed to certain solutions, then that's that would be a vice to our thinking. Now, um, he says... Yeah, so, yeah, okay. so let me jump in here, because seeing the list is really helpful for me, uh, in part because like I'm looking at lack of humility as a thinking vice and thinking that makes so much sense because... Oftentimes, I'll find myself in a conversation or counseling someone who's in a conversation. That's well, a conversation is a generous way to put it. Uh, in a in a in an argument with right. someone, uh, someone brings up something that they don't uh, that they disagree with, and they're and they're battling out here in the front. Right where I'm looking at it, going, "This is ne- you're never going to convince this person because this person." Uh, there, there's a lack of humility. They're not actually able to hear what you're saying. Like we're going to need to go back a few steps and get at, there's something going on. There's a vice in their way of yeah, thinking. This is, yeah, this is helpful. Now yeah. I do notice stupidity is on there. So <laughs> it does. I, I guess I'm, I was right to just say something. Yeah. Stupid is a stupid does. <laughs> um, that seems a little bit harsh. I mean, what if you're just what if you're just stupid? Yeah, it, I, I guess we... This is like a, you're, you're culpable for your own stupidity. You're culpable for maybe say willful ignorance. Okay. Like, hey, okay. I'm, I'm So not, this isn't like, he's not saying some people have lower IQ. Not, and, not, not so much intellectual capacity. Got no, it. That's not what he's getting at, but like a, a choosing to resist knowledge. Okay. On, okay. Like almost on purpose. Yeah. Um, okay. And so he, 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 had, he had some really good, this is a quote from page 59 of the book where he says that we have a rich and find a green vocabulary to describe thinking vices. And this is just common English vernacular on the streets, how people talk. Thinking can be wishful, dogmatic, mm. illogical, biased, irrational, confused, perverse, mm. blinkered. Blinkered. Uh, blinkered. I don't know what that means. Modeled, careless, or superstitious, mm. right? Um, this is something we would say, like, well, he's kind of superstitious in his thinking. Um, so he, he rightfully advocates for slow and deliberative thinking, but his claim is that people can think non-virtuously, both fast and slow. Even if you're going to deliberate and make a decision, there still can be vices in the way you're coming about things in your mind that will hinder you. Now, he gives all kind of political examples. For instance, uh, the knowledge of weapons of mass destruction before the uh, second Iraq war uh, and, and maybe Donald Rumsfeld and others. Uh, simply were not open to different evidence because they were already on a certain track. So the dogmatism, closed-mindedness about what Saddam Hussein had or did not have didn't matter, and it led to right the consequences that followed. Now, I'm not trying to get political about that, but he's just using these as examples that have uh, radical consequences in the world. So those are thinking vices. Now, chapter 4 was interesting because uh, he, he talked about vices of our attitude. And he even uses the term epistemic posture. Mm. Now, friends out there, like I, for years I've been uh, in various ways teaching. I love the word posture. In fact, one of my messages I teach on leadership a lot is the posture and place of leadership. Posture, how do we stand in relationship to others? Place, where do we stand with others as we lead them? Um, and I love this term posture because it, it really does get to what he's after with attitude and how do you stand next to others? Now, he takes on Boris Johnson, uh, you know, English politician. Um, and he even quotes one of my favorite philosophical essays, Jesse, on bullshit by uh, Harry Frankfurt. That is one of your favorite ones. Yes, it's, uh, it's my, I've read it to my kids, so don't, don't uh, email us about, oh, you can't use that word. I've read it to my children. 
because this book, this little book by Harry Frankfurt, who's a philosophy professor emeritus at Princeton, right? He he gives a philosophical theory of bullshitting, which is really good. Now, uh, Kassam quotes this book uh, now in this uh, book of philosophy. He says, the bullshitter does not reject the authority of the truth. He pays no attention to it at mm. all. Um, bullshit is produced without concern for the truth. This is on page 80 in Vices of the Mind. And what he's getting at there is this is a posture that says, I don't care what the truth is. I'm just trying to accomplish things without any regard or concern for what's true. So he calls this a posture, uh, epistemic posture or an attitude where you can have contempt for other people or other ideas, just just hate it, right? I just yeah. hate that, so I'm I'm just going to stand this way in relation to it. And that affects the way you think about other people. We see this in racial bias and bigotry and prejudice, right? Contemptuousness, uh, arrogance, right? Uh, and certainly any kind of prejudicial thing yeah. that's unwarranted, right? Now, he, he gives this analogy that I found super helpful. Um, I don't know if you've ever done like a day's work where you bent over too much or, or maybe got carpal tunnel syndrome yeah. from typing incorrectly or... Uh, posture, right? Like oh, yeah. If you're digging a ditch, right? Digging, yeah. It, it matters. And one so, day of digging, and I just can't. I can't imagine doing it more than one day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It's harder to stand back up. Yeah, <laughs> and when you get old, man, everything <laughs> get, gets hard. Your posture matters. Your core strength. Uh, but he he has this uh, parallel between physical posture. Uh, an epistemic posture mm. that I think is helpful. He says this, the importance of one's physical posture and doing physical work is widely recognized, right? We all agree. Like you get bad posture while you're doing work and hurt yourself. You need I'm to sitting up a lot straighter. That's right. right. You've yeah. got to pick up a heavy box, bend your knees, right? Uh, the importance of one's epistemic posture in doing epistemic work is not talked about much. And that's true, right? Poor physical posture causes all manner of physical problems and a poor epistemic posture causes all manner of intellectual problems. So the best advice for the uh, epistemically insouciant, that's what he uses for bullshit, by the okay. way, uh, epistemically insouciant uh, and intellectually arrogant is to improve, improve your posture, your posture, right? Um, be a little bit humble. Finally, the one, one other thing I'll mention from this book before we discuss it a little bit more, Jesse, was that he said sometimes these vices of the mind can be what he calls stealthy, uh, in other words, it's sneaky. hard. Yes, yeah, it's hard. To Ninja see, vices. It's hard to see them yeah. in yourselves, right? Now, if if you have a vice in your thinking, say closed mindedness. He he used it: closed mindedness, insouciance, bullshitting, um, laziness. These kind of things. Sometimes it's hard for a person to see them in their own mm. way of life. Mm. Um, he calls that stealthy. Kind of like having bad breath, right? You. You, you can't smell your own bad breath. Yeah. How then can people identify uh, poor thinking practices, Jesse, by themselves? Can they? Is that hard? Or what do they need to identify those things? Yeah, don't you need someone to tell you your breath stinks? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> don't you need someone to tell you you have... Be- <laughs> you're giving me so many stars. <laughs> don't, don't you need someone to tell you you got BO, yeah. you know, when you got spinach in your teeth? Yeah. Uh, with yeah. for people that eat spinach, I yeah. I guess you get it in your teeth. That's right. Yeah, I mean this is this is this is why we need this is why we need people. Yeah, friendship, community. But does but it, the interesting thing is, you need you need a posture of humility and openness to be able to have someone point out your vice, your stealthy vice. That's right. That's right. And I think it helps when you know that other people care about you. Mm. 
Um, I found over the years that I'm very willing to receive all manner of things from certain people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and maybe because my uh, stealthy vice is arrogance, that I'm er- too arrogant to receive mm. from everybody. Mm. But certainly when I know someone cares about me, has my best interest in mind, uh, I tend to listen mm-hmm. more. And without community or without outside input or even out interlocutors that hold us in tension, right? People yeah. hate politics because there's like two polarized sides going at it. But actually, that can actually be good to help yeah. us not make really crazy, unwise decisions. Yeah. That's right. Well, so now the thing that I thought about this book and reading it, Jesse, is that this is really good in the sense that there are bl- blameworthy uh, things we do with knowledge or the way we think about things. Um, but the problem that arises is that from all I can tell, this guy uh, is a secular guy talking on the podcast Mindscape with Sean Carroll. Uh, Sean Carroll is what's called a constructivist in terms of ethics. He he doesn't believe in objective morals, objective ethics. He believes human societies construct them. In other words, they don't exist apart from what we make them to be. Now, it's really interesting if you think about uh, someone being blameworthy for something, right? That seems to require uh, something uh, out there the by standard. Which, yeah, 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 yeah. That was as I was listening to this and, and and looking on Reed, I was thinking the same thing. Like, so who who decides what's blameworthy and what isn't, right. and and how do we know that the say um, the person who ignores the truth to get his way isn't in the in the end advancing a good thing? Like, right, right. If he he believes in what he's doing and he thinks it's going to yeah do or, something good, and, yeah. And so how do we know that that's actually blameworthy vice? Right. Because the, the, the worldview today that many are operating, and certainly Sean Carroll uh, operates under, is that human beings uh, evolved. We came off the savanna from being chased by lions. It put in kind of our brain wiring to you know, fight or flight, survive or not. Uh, evolutionary naturalistic worldview. And in light of that, hey, if I want to lie or bully, or uh, have a bad posture, or BS to get my way, and I get resources, and I get money for my kids, right. and I pass yeah, on even my if, genes. Even right. if there's even if there's a family or tribal advancement by that, so it doesn't even have to be individual. That's right. That's uh, right. You know, our village right. trumps the other village. And, right. Yeah. And Sean Carroll, I, I really enjoy this podcast, Mindscape. I really do recommend it. It's kind of wacky and out there on some things, but a very smart guy. And he said this in interviewing Kasama about his book, because he's coming out of a philosophical tradition. He's a Kantian scholar who did believe in okay. right and wrong. It gives you a little bit of, if you're familiar with the works of Immanuel Kant, he tried to come up with these ideas that these are categorical things that we should or should not do. Say, you know, like lying, we shouldn't lie. Um, so, but Carol rightly uh, comes at this thing about uh, some ethical thing. So he says this, Carol in the interview says, it seems that this discussion presumes that there is some shared or maybe even a universal objective kind of goal that we have when being epistemologists or thinking, or when trying to think about the world that we all want truth. And it's probably an easier discussion to have when we're talking about scientific or physical natural facts about the world than about moral stances. So th- is this a fair thing to say, that we can only have this discussion about what is an intellectual vice if we agree that we all can get the things right in the end of the day, we more or less agree on what it would mean to get things right. Now, he's not doing doublespeak there. He's pressing Kassam on a really good issue. Doesn't this seem to pre- presume some sort of universal right, uh, that's applicable to all of us and that we care about the truth and want to get it right. And Kassam's uh, uh, response is a little weak, but uh, fair enough. He says, yeah, I suppose that's fair enough. 
I guess that rather than talking about the truth, I think I'd want to say that we want we want and need as human beings is knowledge of the world around us. That's something we actually need just to survive and get by. And the other thing that we're looking for is understanding. It's not just a matter of knowing certain propositions are true, but we also want to understand why they're true, uh, how they're true, and how they fit in with other things that we know. Now, it's a pretty weak answer because he's like, well, I guess we care about knowing things, right? And that the knowing of the things is the important things. Well, and then he kind of comes back to the truth language at the end there. Well, I think it's important that if we're talking about blameworthiness, uh, it's very important that there is some objective reality by which we are held to account. And certainly uh, in a theistic worldview where God exists and God is the, the moral lawgiver and the source of moral truth and goodness, uh, we can be objectively blameworthy. But in a world where we're just trying to get by, you know, avoid the lions uh, on the African savanna, where is where is true? Where is objective right? Where are you blaming people? So here, here's two things mm. that we need, Jesse. Uh, if we're going to kind of believe in epistemic vices or vice of the mind, we need an objective morality to say something is blameworthy. Hey, that's wrong way to think. To be arrogant is wrong. Not that it's icky or non-preferable to me or us or our family or our tribe, but it's actually wrong to have that arrogant posture. Um, and then secondly, not only you need some sort of universal, you also need some sort of will and doability for life. Okay, not simply a mechanistic materialism. We need some sort of um, agency. Agency, yeah. yeah. You can call it free will. You can call it conscious will, decision making. But if we don't have that, if we are simply mechanisms, mm. uh, then there is no blameworthiness to our our thinking right. at all. Now, for instance, Sam Harris, a popular atheist, uh, neuroscientist, philosopher, um, very popular podcaster as well. Um, he argues, he has a whole book about that free will is an illusion fostered upon us by our brains, and, and that if mechanistic materialism or naturalism, that space, time, energy is all there is, that's what Harris believes, if that's all there is, there is no free will. Right. Everything is a continuing cause and effect, uh, re- reaction and, and action and reaction from the beginning of this formation of the universe until now. There is no agency in it. And so if you're going to have, right, uh, bullshit and that being a bad thing, uh, you have to have the ability to not do it uh, and to mm. live more of a praiseworthy way or virtuous way. And, in, and to know that it's wrong, to know that there's That's a standard, right. yeah, that, right. that, it, that it transgresses. That's right. Now, he, he seems concerned, uh, Kassam does, about closed and open-mindedness, right? Closed-mindedness being bad, open-mindedness being good. Jesse, have you ever heard any kind of uh, discussions of this kind of open mind? You should be open-minded. And, and kind of what kind of discussions have you been privy to or part Ooh, of Oh, man. Well, I mean, open-mindedness is seen, I would say, as kind of a universal, universally good thing in my context, especially in a college world where um, most professors want to bring students in and then open their minds. You know, yeah. say you... You think you know things, but really you need to have a more open mind. So in my context, mostly I've seen it as a a universal virtue. Something that makes somebody better. The the open-minded people are the good people. Yeah. Yeah. And and, uh, yeah. Yeah. So even as I'm thinking about this, uh, the the concept of virtue and vice is that there's a, um, the the philosophical context that, that there's 
there's a, say, a spectrum, and on either sides of the spectrum are where we go into vice. And right. then in the, in the mean or the middle is kind the Kind of Aristotelian yeah, virtue right. ethics, the golden mean. Yeah. And it kind of works with open-mindedness, right? So yeah. if you go too far on one side, uh, you are gullible. Right. right? You're right. so open-minded that you don't, you're not holding on to anything. And then you go on the other side, and uh, and perhaps uh, you're closed minded about right? everything, rigid, dogmatic yep. about every single yep. thing in the universe. And, and yeah. so there's some there's some mean in the middle where open mindedness is virtuous, but not too open minded. Yeah, cl- uh, cl- how about closed mindedness? Is that usually seen as a bad thing? Say in a university, community? right? You're, you're you grew up closed minded. We're here to help you, right? Yeah. It, the interesting thing for me about closed mindedness, it is a both a virtue and a vice depending right. on the context. For instance, if you if you have a closed mind and and use that to have ethical courage, for instance, say no that the, the the Germans should not kill people right. because of their their religious ethno identity, that's virtuous, right? I'm not moving off this. Here I stand. I can do no other. You make a stand for what is right. You know, we're 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 lauding people today for standing up for whatever they believe in climate change, whatever it might be, pro life. Uh, closed-mindedness on an issue can be a virtue. Um, Now, in problem-solving, which needs creativity and sometimes solutions that are not yet known, it could be a vice, right? You're just closed to certain solutions so you can't see them creatively. Now, they're they're kind of these popular cliches you run into like this. This is kind of bumper sticker crap. Uh, The mind is like a parachute. It only works if it's open. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you run into that one or not, no, but I find no. that pretty funny. Yeah. Um, you, so you have to have an open mind. Well, G.K. Chesterton, one of my favorite authors, who's a uh, early... He occasionally uh, ha- says something uh, outrageous. Yes, yes. He was uh, very uh, provocative and yeah. witty and witty, uh, yeah. could turn a phrase in the early uh, 20th century English journalist uh, and author. Um, fantastic writers. Uh, G.K. Chesterton said this, an open mind is really a mark of foolishness like an open mouth. Mouths and minds were made to shut. They were made to open only in order to shut. Or he says this, the object of opening the mind is opening the mouth to shut it again on something solid, Uh, right? And so he's kind of funny because, you know, uh, people say, well, if you believe something is true, then you're closed to other alternatives. And that is True, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so Chesterton says, well, we want to open the mind, but in order to shut it again yeah. on something good and right and true. And I would say if there's epistemic virtue and vices, we want to open the mind to think better. And so, um, Jesse, in terms of uh, your own thinking, I don't put you on the spot here for a second. I know. Um, what, are, what are some of the things that you may tend to in terms of intellectual vices? Mm. You are putting me on the spot. <laughs> I'm I'm just full of good gooder. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. Well, um, how about I go first and then let you think about it? I know for me, stupidity I, would be mine. Stu- <laughs> I'm just too stupid to talk to you. Yeah. yeah, there's a comedian named Brian Regan that that always uh, does these bits about how stupid he is and spelling bees and stuff. You got to check that out, guys. But uh, for me, I just be honest. Sometimes I can I can really struggle with a private arrogance. Uh, in other words, that I think sometimes people are stupid, mm. and, and that hinders me right from learning and listening to people that I really ought to. And you might think, "Wow, Reed, do you think I'm stupid?" I do not think you're stupid, <laughs> um, but sometimes I think some people are. And uh, I've realized, even reading this book, was very helped by Kasam saying, "You know what? My I, I really understand the posture of humility and related to service, kindness, and love." 
I need to apply that same kind of thing to my intellectual posture at times. I get really frustrated because I think there are Christian people uh, that speak uh, about everything that they have no expertise in. I get yeah. really frustrated about that. Uh, but sometimes it's just because. Wait, I'm you're not talking about me, are you? No, no, I'm not talking okay. about you. I, Maybe, I, I yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think uh, uh, I'm probably in the same boat, but I'll I'll choose a different one. Um, so certainly, I think lack lack of humility would be one of them. But I'd say complacency for me is something that that I tend to um, mostly just. I think I get intellectually tired. I get yeah. tired out. Yeah. And the idea of, so, so I, I typically, uh, I don't know what my Enneagram is. Okay. Right. Full disclosure. Right. I don't know what my Myers-Briggs are. So I, I probably don't to, know myself. But, I actually had to do an Enneagram so I could talk to my friends because that's all they were talking about <laughs> for a season. I'll, I'll oh, do, you're a number? Okay. I'm a number two. I'll uh, do your pentagram yes. and, and talk to you. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I have a I have a wing and yeah. anyway um a chicken wing <laughs> but I do know myself fairly well I think and uh I think God's gifted me with with some kind of I can think it with vision and 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 plan and look ahead but often I don't and and I I kind of waste that because I'm just I'm just kind of tired like Complacent, yeah. yeah like uh I could read a book or I could look at my fantasy football team yeah and uh uh I, I probably cultivate the vice of looking at my fantasy football team a little too much. It's just a lot easier to do. You know, intellectually, um, there's a phrase, uh, intellectually stimulated. Um, and I think that's a really good phrase because I think a lot of us can get uh, complacent. I know mm. for me, I have to be a little provoked sometimes to think better. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and to me, I sometimes I get bored uh, with... Um, uh, Christian people who say the same things all the time, and I find that I think better ab- about Christianity, about faith, even about the truth of the Bible when I'm interacting with the worldviews of others, like Sean Carroll or, or uh, Kassam, mm. because it forces me, provokes me to really try to think well yeah. about the things we believe and how it does integrate in every facet of the world. And the world does change, right? There's there's intellectual ideas, vogues, fads. Uh, my son told me uh, yesterday, apparently Voltron is gay. I don't know if you knew that or not. No. In the Netflix, they have a gay, gay black, black the black lion captain or something is gay. And my son's like, hey, dad, did you know Voltron was gay? And I was like, not when I was a kid, he wasn't gay. <laughs> He's um, changed. Yeah. Uh, so even thinking through the way you talk to your children about that kind of thing that that uh, was brought to him uh, as a thir- mm. 13-year-old to try to understand and knowing that I'm aiming him towards, am I aiming him towards kindness towards people? Uh, and am I aiming him towards being convictional about the truth? Uh, of things as well. So provoke each other intellectually. We hope the yeah. gospel underground is provocative to you. We hope next week uh, is going to be provocative to us and help us think better and clearer and more virtuously because uh, actually it's not next Man, week. Yeah, it's we're like, recording it in like two days. Two days. Yeah. So we don't know when you're going to do it, but we have a special guest coming back. Coming actually, back. Return trip to the gospel underground with Reese Bazant. Reese Bazant is making the trip from Australia just for this podcast. How about it? For well, the, to, to be in the shed quarters. Well, not exactly. We uh, were excited to have Reese in the shed quarters in the studio. Uh, Reese joined us. Uh, how long ago was that? It was very early on. I think it was some like episode eleven or yeah, so. Yeah, that's right. On uh, leaning, la- leaning into lament. Yeah, it uh, kind of wraps. You could almost do a hip hop leaning into lament with Reese Bazant. Mm, you I, need to. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, no star uh, no, for me. No star. Well, I don't have control of it, but yeah. <laughs> I, I, if I, I had control, crickets. that would yeah, that, yeah. Uh, we're excited to have Reese back in. He's in the states uh, for a conference in New England. Is making a special trip down here, doing our little Saturday afternoon conference on virtue, mm-hmm. where he'll be speaking about uh, his newest book, Oxford University Press. Jonathan Edwards. Uh, or Edwards the Mentor, mm. which is excellent. I'm almost finished. He's a Jonathan Edwards scholar. He's an right? Edwards scholar, church historian, theologian. Yeah. He's the Dean of Missional Theology at Ridley College in Melbourne, Australia. He's an Anglican brother. He's got a, a, a really great Australian accent. Tune in just to listen. And yeah. he's going to join us, uh, and he'll be talking about um, some about his new book, but essentially he'll, he'll be talking about mentoring as a means of becoming more virtuous. Wow, wow. And so, yeah, we're excited to have him in two days. Wow. Hey, doesn't matter the topic. Bonus. Doesn't matter the topic. He's speaking Australian yeah, up in here, man. It's yeah. going to be great. But so. another shrimp on the bobby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's uh, gonna, there's he's, nothing le- less uh, Australian than Foster's beer <laughs> in the Outback. The uh, I'm stocking up the house right now with Tim Tams <laughs> and Foster's right. beer. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Well, thank you guys for listening today. The Gospel Underground is a joint production of Power of Change and the Bonhoeffer House. Review us on iTunes. Five stars are acceptable and growing. Send your comments, feedback, and questions that you might want us to take up here on the Underground to info at gospelunderground.org. We are Dialogue, taking place on the borderlands between the church and culture. We hope you see you out there. Peace. Peace.